0: who don't know me. My name's Howie Cohn and I'm a, uh, one of the spirit rockers. Uh, I'm an old friend of Sylvia. Sylvia and I started in uh, Jack Cornfield's first training group uh, 16 years ago. So uh, we go back a long way and um, I appreciate being here. In fact, while I was sitting, I was, uh, I, toward the end of the sitting, I I felt uh, as though I was chomping at the bit. I was ready to say something. I don't know what I was ready to say, but uh, I was feeling full of full of the Dharma, um, the teachings, the truth of things and uh, but yet I feel a little vulnerable because I've been uh, I just came off of two weeks of retreat and uh, uh, so I don't exactly know how'm I'm, how I'm going to uh, translate everything that's occurred into words. but uh, And I know that words are hopeless in terms of describing the indescribable, but uh, it's part of the lila or play of life to try to put words to what you can't really describe. So here I go. Um, I, was, um, I was thinking about the, uh, the refuges, and I don't, I'm not sure Whether as a group, you know, I know this group rotates a lot and people come and go, but uh, I vaguely remember taking that early in the morning, once a month, did they still do that? Um, Taking precepts, doing refuges? Next Wednesday, Wednesday. okay. Everyone go next Wednesday. but I often, in the past, thought of the refuges as this, uh, I felt a little bit removed from the refuges, even though I've been chanting them for years, and they're very inspiring to me. More recently, the refuges have uh, come alive, and, and the refuges are essentially, I take refuge in the Buddha, or I go to the Buddha for refuge, the Dharma for refuge, and the Sangha for refuge. And, Hearing that, you may think you have to go somewhere, right? You have to go to the Buddha, you have to go to the Dharma, you have to go to the Sangha, somehow an outer outer reach. But yet all of the teachings, from the simplest teaching to the most exotic teaching within the, the Buddha Dharma, and really all wisdom traditions, point to one reality, which is here and now, which is timeless, unconditioned, unborn, Outside of time, same as timeless. And there's the understanding that when you go to the Buddha, you can't go somewhere else. You go go where you're sitting. That the Buddha is your own mind. As the poet, uh, the Japanese monk poet, Ryokan, uh, in one of my favorite little poems of his, he says, Buddha is your mind and the way goes nowhere. Don't look for anything but this. And you can take this as a meditation instruction right now. Buddha is your mind and the way goes nowhere. Don't look for anything but this. If you point your cart north when you want to go south, how will you ever arrive? Don't lift out of this moment. Don't go out of yourself in search of the Buddha. The Buddha is your mind. So when you go to the Buddha for refuge, you're literally going to the very nature of your own mind, the understanding that Buddha is that, that pure awareness, that intuitive knowing, that, uh, that the very awareness through which you're perceiving the sound of my voice, that which knows that is the Buddha. And the Buddha is not personal. The Buddha is that which we all share, it's universal. And so all the teachings point to the Buddha. And uh, Ajahn Sumedhu, who I just sat with, had this wonderful line where he said, he talked a little bit about the Buddha, and he says, what does the Buddha know? The Buddha knows the Dharma. So you go to the Dharma for refuge, the Buddha knows the Dharma. And what's the dharma? The dharma is, of course, it's often referred to as the teachings of liberation, the teachings of awakening. But where is that to be found? Where is the dharma to be found? Dharma really means truth or way. It's to be found right here, right now. So taking refuge in the Buddha and the dharma is taking refuge in that which knows and that which knows what's happening right now. The Dharma is right here. What are you experiencing right now? How are things? He kept using this expression during the retreat. It's like this. (laughs) I feel lousy. or, Or there's lousy feeling here. Or lots of thinking. I think I should be somebody else. Have you heard that one before? body hurts. Now we don't usually leave it as body hurts. It usually, in what I'm sure Sylvia has talked about over the years, it usually, with the mingling of that experience of body hurts, hurting body, painful body, it usually mixes with what is called in the Buddha's teachings, uh, papancha, or proliferation means. It means the, the spawning out of that very direct experience. It's like this, the body's pain, to the story of, my body hurts. I hurt. And then we don't stop with, I hurt. We go, I'm a hurting being, or I'm a, an unhappy being. And at that point, we no longer are taking refuge in the Dharma. The Buddha is no longer seeing the Dharma. The Buddha is seeing the story of self. Now once that's known, oh, I'm making up a story about this simple experience of pain, of being in pain. Ah, I'm back to the Dharma. I've returned to the Buddha who knows what's happening. But when when the Buddha doesn't know what's happening, we take birth. We take birth and that the whole cycle of birth and becoming and, and then all the, everything that you have to go through, the cycle of suffering, happens when we're not taking refuge in the Buddha and the Buddha is not noticing the Dharma, how it is, and we take birth. Oh, I'm the hurting one. I'm in pain. Oh, I'm always in pain. You know, and everyone else looks like they're not in pain. <laughs> Everyone else looks like Buddhas, and they're getting enlightened, and I'm sitting here lost in pain. And what do I do about that? Okay, I'm going to practice harder, so I don't have so much pain. And meanwhile, that whole dream, that whole story of self, is what the Buddha called avidya or ignorance, adopting a self-view, a view of self and then believing it, like incarnating in it, as though that's me. And then finally, awareness, or the Buddha arises again and says, oh, I was really lost in that proliferation of thought. This is how it is. It's like this. And back to this timeless present, this knowing of this Buddha, awake, knowing the Dharma, how it is. And, of course, taking refuge in the Sangha is taking refuge in that, um, that possibility of living uh, very mindfully, living as a Buddha in a very wholesome life that doesn't harm yourself or harm others, and the Sangha is that example that, that you, that you um, in a sense, plug into by being the Buddha and knowing the Dharma. So I thought that uh, before I said too many more words, I thought we would chant together the refuges. And when you chant the refuges this time, try not to remove them from the, this present moment. In all the chanting of the refuges and the, dis- the qualities that are described by the Buddha, or that are described in the chanting, you'll always hear the Buddha. To be discovered timelessly, here and now, by the wise, always about now. So here we go. We'll do this call and response, and I'll do a brief introduction, then we'll simply give, we'll go to the, our own Buddha nature for refuge, we'll go to the Dharma for refuge, we'll go to the Sangha for refuge. Now this doesn't mean that you've joined a club. It simply means that you have a commitment to being awake. We'll talk more about that as we go along.
1: Han tamayan buddharatana satinayanja karo masae namo tassa. Your turn. <coughs> namo tassa. <coughs> bhagavato, bhagavato. <coughs> arahato Sama Sambutasa sa Namo tassa Namo tassa Bhagavato bagavato, Arahato, arahato Samma sambutasa
2: sa Samma
1: sambuddha sa Namo tassa Arahato, Sammasambuddhasa, Sama
2: Sambutasa,
1: Sama Sambutasa,
2: Budang saranam Chami,
1: Budang Sarananga Chami, Sang Kang Sarananga Chami,
2: Sangang Sarananga Chami,
1: Dutyampi,
2: Dutyampi,
1: Budang Sarananga Chami,
2: Budang Sarananga
1: Chami, Dutyampi, Dutyampi, Damang Sarananga Chami. Aram sara nang dachami Dutiyam pi Sang kong sara nang dachami Tati am pi
2: Budang, Budang Tati
1: Dhammāṅ sara-nāṅ gācchāmi Dhammāṅ sara-nāṅ gācchāmi yampi
0: Now with the residue of that chant, let yourself rest
1: in the the one who knows, the Buddha, that non personal awareness of the
0: breath, the body, how it is, any
1: mood, thoughts or images, sounds. The Buddha knows the Dharma.
0: Just here, just now. So as I've um, several times through the years as I've sat in for Sylvia uh, the uh, orientation has been Dharma related discussion so I'd like uh, to take any questions that you might have I think how I can be most useful as a spiritual friend and fellow traveler uh, um, is uh, responding to any topics or questions that you might have, preferably not too theoretical, something that's uh, perhaps verifiable here and now, Um, but anything really I'm open to talking about, and so if anybody has any questions about anything that I've said up to this point, uh, I'm all yours.
1: Please.
3: Um, there's a question. Um, I also sat with Ajahn Snow
4: I've been seeing a lot of pictures and the practices mm-hmm. and
5: there's
4: an there's an attachment
3: in him to this form of practice.
1: Where is it right now as you as you speak? (laughs) So
0: it's not not right now. It's not right now. And if you feel it, if you feel this attachment, then it's it's like that, as he said. You feel an attachment. You feel it when it's present and you notice it when it's absent. So, to say that there's this attachment, not to I, — I, I don't want to interrupt you too long <laughs> — but, but when you say this is attachment, if, um, if I understand Ajahn Sumedho and the teachings correctly, it's really to test that out on present evidence, on immediate present evidence. We all say, oh, I'm so attached to this or that. Where is that attachment here and now? Just think of that which you're most attached to, that you think you're most attached to. And I, I found it quite liberating for myself to see that my attachments are, they liberate themselves. They're, they're sometimes there and they're sometimes not. And if I can take that seed of the Buddha and see, oh yeah, there's a, right now there's a lot of craving, there's a lot of clinging. Now what happens when I say, oh, there's craving clinging? Now what happens to craving and clinging when I notice it? It's there for a time, and then there's a cessation of craving and clinging. no attachment. There's actually Nibbana, liberation, right here and now. Anyway, go ahead, please. <laughs> 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 so, this is, I totally appreciate your question. The question was, or the comment was, I have this attachment because I've been doing all this practice. Normally, what will happen in our in going back to this word avijja, this ignorance, this, uh, this beginning stage of the chain of delusion or the chain of suffering, is that there will be a moment of recognition, a moment of recognition of some kind of painful feeling, some kind of grasping or some kind of condemning, either aversion or boredom or I want more of retreats or I want... There will be a moment of craving, And we will have heard these teachings. This is about non-craving. This is about non-attachment. It's about letting go. And then there'll, there'll be this realization, wow, there's this attachment here. And because of our misperception, what the Buddha called wrong view, which means taking it to be self and taking it to be a permanent condition, and taking ourselves to be permanent personalities, that there's an attachment becomes, I'm attached. And then, once we've taken birth as the one who's attached, then we have to go about getting unattached. And then what, what we're caught in is what I like to call the tyranny of time. Then I have to take time to get unattached. And that whole cycle, what the Buddha called the cause of suffering, which is craving or otherwise described as becoming, that cycle of becoming is set in motion and we're on the wheel of death, we're on the wheel of suffering right there, becoming. We've taken birth and we're becoming and then maybe someday we'll be okay, we'll be free of attachment. All of that is a kind of dream, all of that is a, is a chain of imaginary delusion. Does that make sense to you what I'm saying? Yeah. And yet, the moment we wake up to where we are, that there's the recognition, oh, I've really become identified with this meditator who's going to get unattached. <laughs> and there's this residue of feeling, of, of craving, of, of, of tightness in the body. At that moment, I've stepped back into that non-personal, out of non-self, anatta, not-self, element of awareness. Does that make sense? That not-self element of awareness, the Buddha, one and the same. And I recognize that attached self, that story of self, that feeling of attachment, that craving, is a changing condition, is not self, is not it's not. Um, it's not who I really am, but it's part of the display of experience. But as long as I'm on that on that wheel, on that in that imaginary sense of becoming, then I'm. Then meditation practice, anything I do is suffering. It's struggle. I'm going to work harder so I'm not attached, and we get miserable trying to be happy. Somehow they don't compute. So. This letting go, this, this taking refuge in the Buddha means, as Ajahn Sumedho said over and over, means trusting this awareness. Trusting that you can literally be nobody except that which knows. And then out of that, see what happens. Don't, you don't need to take birth in this imaginary story about yourself. You can remain, and even try it right now as I speak, remain open. Remain this presence itself. In fact, if you do that and you talk to somebody, you will hear them better. You don't have to be saying, oh, I'm, I'm going to really try to listen really well right now. You, don't ha- you can simply remain in this kind of diffuse, comprehensive openness. Actually, function 200% better in what you do in your life, even driving. Open. You know, I have a lot of experience of sitting on this seat, you know, as I said, for 16 years, and it, there's such a huge difference the days that I thought I had to be a teacher, that I incarnated as the teacher who was supposed to teach. <laughs> Such a huge difference between that and simply being open here, knowing that I'm fulfilling some function or role, but not being the teacher, but just being here, being remaining open, and then just speaking from that, unprompted, unbidden, unprepared, unrehearsed. And when I'm able to do that, And just in my life in general, I realized that there is this, and I think you can all tune into it, there's this inexhaustible resource, this inexhaustible abundance and creative spark that exists as the very nature of our beings before we have time to remind ourselves that we're little, shrunken, not okay people. (laughs) Before we, as I like to often say, before we consult our memories. As my teacher in India used to call it, the graveyard of memories. The garbage heap of memories. So that that there is this capacity in each of us to really be to begin to trust this awareness and then to live from that, where we don't have to be constructing this story every moment to keep ourselves alive. We, and the more we know the Dharma of, of the nature of our bodies and minds, the more we can trust this awareness, because you can see this body changes, the moods come and go, the thoughts come and go. It doesn't happen according to anybody's will or wish. It's pretty non-personal in that way. And one of the a great uh, exercises that I, that I um, learned more from recently, I used to do it in my early years of practice. But when uh, Ajahn Jumnian, I'm not sure how many of you have sat with him when he's come, where he does, he has people actually sense with their with that intuitive, comprehensive awareness, sense the bones of their body, and then the skin and the flesh and then the organs and just sense it from the inside, and it's just so obvious that these bones are not me. These bones are just bones, they're the elements, the skin, the flesh. There's no self to be found in that. So we begin to not be so identified with the story in the body and we can remain open. And then the body functions so much better and our, our moods flow smoother. And, you know, of course we still have to deal with afflictive emotions, but it's so much easier to deal with afflictive emotions, difficult emotions, from that place of openness. Much harder to deal with myself when I'm caught in the story that I should be different than the way I am. I have this, had this experience over the years, traveling back and forth to uh, where I used to live in Arizona. I used to live in Tucson, Arizona for 11 years. And over these, um, you know, the last 20 years, I've Lived in the Bay Area, and I've been, you know, leading retreats and classes, and uh, I've studied psychology, and I've worked as a counselor, and this and that, and uh, really devoted myself to the Dharma, to to this this awareness. Yet, of course, I have all the seeds of of uh, all my previous and more recent cultural conditioning that somehow well-being has to do with your. Name or fame or wealth or whatever you have or you don't have. And I would notice that when I would go to Tucson, all the people that I used to hang out with have devoted themselves to material success and uh, and becoming somebody. And I would notice that they I would walk into these gigantic monstrosity homes and they would be and they would be telling me the deals they were doing here and there and on one hand, I would say, you know, I've married the Dharma. <laughs> On the other hand, I would notice that I'd be going along fine, just being openness itself. And then the, a little seed thought would arise,
2: hmm.
0: I don't quite have enough. I'm not enough. I haven't done enough, or whatever it is. And with that, with that seed thought, I take birth. as the all the, Before I was just the Buddha himself, openness itself, <laughs> That universal sensitivity, and all of a sudden, I take birth as the not okay, and and then before I know it, I'm depressed, and you know, crashing, and and really believing that there's I have to go about, you know, becoming better, getting more or whatever it is, and then almost every time, you know, it come, there's afflictive emotions with that. When I'd finally wake up, fortunately I think that there is a result of doing a lot of trusting and practicing awareness, finally that awareness meets that, whatever that residue is, that bad feeling in the body. And of course if awareness didn't arise and mingle with that bad feeling, I could go on for days thinking about how I should, you know, strategizing how I'm going to become a better person. Have you done that before? (laughs) <laughs> but if it just in a flash of waking up to where I am, it's simply awareness re arising, sensing the Dharma, sensing what's actually happening, the attachment or view of the self view. There is that feeling in the body. And when it's mingled with awareness, met with awareness, that whole complex, if I simply trust the awareness, will allow me to see that whatever that is gets aerated with awareness and it reveals itself as a changing condition. And that whole the whole apparatus, that whole incarnation ends. There is a cessation. And this, I think, is what the Buddha meant in the third noble truth, nirvana, the cessation of grasping or condemning. Not something highfalutin thing to be found in some imaginary uh, Buddha-loka in some other world, but in every moment that there is this recognition of the cessation of suffering, and that openness that it remains, which is one and the same as the Buddha, awareness that has no time, that has no inside, has no outside, has no boundaries, open, comprehensive, you, all of us, now, so I think it works well with afflictive emotions.
1: Please.
6: No, I, I appreciate your, um, your sharing and I um, it would also appreciate if you'd like to share um, the perspective about uh, some tools, or at least a tool that I've been using for a number of years that I've found helpful with other people, and that is, and it's relating to what you're talking about and the question about attachment, and that is to let go of the expectation that we're the doer.
1: Right.
6: The relationship between seeing that we're always the doer and the expectation and to have that throughout our life, to keep reminding ourselves that we're really not because you talk about the mind, body, and we're we're not the doer. And just to if if one can internalize that kind of believe or
0: concept yeah. It's a concept yeah I don't think it's a good thing to internalize the concept I think it's a good thing as and I think what you're pointing to is really experimenting to see first to be to verify all these teachings for ourselves you know the the chant the line that's chanted most often for twenty five hundred years is this line dita pu." basically for a For those who are interested and can be taught to come and see for themselves what's true. And so it means to experiment with, well, what is the doer? Who is the doer? What is doing all this life? And that's where this this non-cerebral, this kind of open attention to our experience helps us first reveal that life is just happening. And then, it's through that direct experience that, that we then nurture that sense of non-doing. But it's, I think it's great to start with the notion that there may not be a doer here, but to adopt it as a view would, would, could also lead to the sense of, oh, I'm noticing that I really feel like I'm doing something, I must not be a good yogi, and then become even more reinforced as the doer who's trying not to do. So.
6: Well, the key is not to have
1: judgment. Right.
6: <laughs> I mean, to me, that, that would be an important part of it. Yes. there's so much engaging in soft judgments or judgments of others.
0: Exactly. But even you know, with awareness, the he, I'm supposed to speak the the question, the comment. We have lots of judgments. But even with awareness, it's we can simply notice the judgments and see that there's judgment here. Because it's very easy, even with judgment, to then incarnate as the, oh, I'm the judge, and I've got to stop judging, and then be off on the wheel of, of becoming less judgmental. Of course, that seems like a very wholesome intention, but it's still in that cycle of becoming. toppling forward a little bit into the next moment. But if our noticing our judgments can be um, more immediate, we can... um, I don't know how to talk about this exactly other than just experience, yes, there's judgment here and it's painful. And let that be the cause for letting go of judgment as opposed to not that you were suggesting this, but taking birth as the one who's going to solve the judgment problem. There's a subtle difference. And uh, I'm finding it useful to play with that difference between just recognizing the truth of judging, how it feels, what happens to it when I notice it, what happens when I don't notice it, when it's not noticed, as opposed to noticing the judgment realizing it's painful but then spinning out in a new in a new incarnation of the, the doer the meditator who's going to end judgment but i appreciate what your suggestion and non-doing non-judgment those are all wonderful teachings there's so many teachings that are wonderful about non-attachment non-clinging non-judgment but it's very easy to take the teachings and create more ego with them. Please.
3: I used to think that I was in control of everything. <coughs> <many> <coughs> and then I had this wonderful intention, it was on the two month retreat, um, to save this banana slug of life. Because he was right in the pathway, and all these people were coming to Newark leaving the retreat and they were not really looking down. So I picked him up, I moved him off the path, way in the bushes. And every time I'd pass the bushes, I'd look for him, I couldn't see him. <coughs> about five hours later, I was going in to get a coat because I was cold. got my coat, I came out and I looked down and I had steps on the banana. Mm-hmm. I just went crazy, you know. I felt so guilty. It was all my fault. I not only, my best intention was to save him, and I ended up being the actual cause of his death.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> and I had to work with that for a long time because I was attached to him. I really wanted him to live.
1: No, I can appreciate I that.
3: <laughs> and I killed him. It was a quick death. I stepped on him.
0: Thank you for sharing.
2: (laughs) But I
3: was just like, I can't do do this. I'm no good. My best intentions can never come true. And it's hopeless. Mm. (laughs) And suddenly, when we're talking to a teacher, the realization came that there are things that are not in my... If I could control everything, I would have. If That's right. If I had right. control, I would not have said
0: that. That was not your intention.
3: If I hadn't been heedless, if I had known that I was going to be heedless, I would have not been heedless. And that was a really great teaching for me, that thinking that we can stop judgment or, you know, that we are the doer of something, that we are going to control yeah. and do things. Thank and you. There are so many things that mm-hmm. just... If we could, we would, and we don't. Because it's just the way it is. All everything is following the immutable laws of the universe. In some way,
1: that's right.
3: To come to this point could be no other way, and that's a, a great freedom. Beautiful. It's a thought, too. I mean, I keep thinking it, even when I'm really suffering. I think, uh, you know, I could just whatever change this. And then the thought comes, well, it couldn't be any other way. It's kind of a a relief and a... I can't think of the word, but just the thought alone is
0: enough to bring me back to what is. Beautiful. Thoughts thoughts can be very wise and wonderful triggers. Ajahn Sumedho, for example, uses the trigger of the sound of silence he refers to that sound, that kind of silent hum or vibration or high-pitched whatever it is. That's what helps him refer, reconnect again with that kind of open knowing that knows things as they are, as you were describing. Others have, the, have a little mantra like, things are as they are, they'll be the way they are, and that's it, and that's that. You know, whatever it is, whatever triggers that remembering, that bringing you back to that uh, ever-equanimous, uh, ever-balanced open awareness uh, is very useful as a skillful means.
1: Please.
4: I'm just starting, and I've been reading about this, and, but then how do you balance that with, um, let's say, political beliefs that you want to change things? And mm-hmm. how do you um, how do you balance that? You know, I mean, I understand the control thing, but part of me, you know, when I read something in the paper or you hear about something, you want to go out and you want to change it. Yes. So how do you balance that?
0: Did everybody hear the question? How do you balance that things as they are with one, Well, things as they are are I want to change this. It's the recognition of that taking of that process that you've taken birth as, a, as a, an activist. It's not necessarily being the activist, but recognizing that this is a strong movement of the heart, out of compassion for something. And it's out of that openness that we become quite passionate. When we're caught up in our, and preoccupied in our own internal drama, we're not very responsive and sensitive to the world and its needs. But when we're sensitive and open, Naturally, there is this impulse. That impulse to change something, to do something, if it comes out of love and compassion and not out of aversion, is the movement of, it's, it's all the movement of life, but it, it's onward leading. It's something that can simply be known and noticed and followed as, a, as a, um, a natural expression of an open heart, an open mind. And nothing needs to be done about that except to uh, to, If there's any kind of discernment, it should be to discern the motivation mm-hmm. and to uh, to just see that as the display of, of life as it's happening through you. Please. Yeah, and to add on to that,
3: until you see things as they are, you can't change them. I mean, you can't really know how best to put your efforts to change them. That's right see some
0: suffering then. You can... That's right. I think it's there's nothing uh, I think it's inevitable. I don't know one person who's done a lot of practice. It, it, our imagination is that I'm going to become this open Buddha that I'm just then I'm going to become this blob that just, just kind of vanishes into this mist of awareness. But in fact the <laughs> the fact the it's exactly the opposite. People who who nurture this and trust this awareness often become more passionately involved in the world because you realize in this openness that there is no inside or outside, that everything is part of your comprehensive awareness. And the, the Tibetans have a wonderful way of, of talking about the nature of mind as it's realized and, and nurtured. They say that its nature is empty. Wait, its, its essence is empty. Essence is empty, its nature is clarity or cognizance, kind of clear reflecting, you see the world clearly. And its expression is the mingling of clarity and emptiness, which is often described as unobstructed compassion. So quite naturally, because our minds, when they're open, what you've done, you've pulled the string You've pulled the, all the strings of grasping, all the knots of our, of our self-contraction out of the equation, so we're less preoccupied with our, with our own internal drama. You pull grasping out of the equation, and what comes forth is love and compassion. And, and that takes a different shape for every individual human being. Uh, some people might start a social movement. Others may commit themselves to live a monastic life, to be an example of non-harming to other people. Not, nothing says about how you have to do that. But definitely follow that. But check your motivation. Because sometimes we think we know, as Virginia is saying, we know what's going on and sometimes we don't have all the information. Please. Oh, I thought you had oh, your... I
4: do. But we can never get all the information. That's
0: true. Do your best.
4: Yeah. And it's um, not when she was talking about not being in control or not being attached to the outcome. But just maybe, I don't know. It's a question I'm working
0: on. It's great. This is all about experimentation and questioning ourselves. Please, David.
5: I was just reflecting on some of what you've been talking about. I, I'm aware that you know, for the last 20 years I've been meditating and I've had a pretty steady, solid practice and.
0: Maybe too steady and too solid, huh? <laughs> You've been too busy being a meditator, maybe. But go ahead, I'm sorry.
5: Maybe. I mean, it seems that um, things suggest in of, you know, deepening and understanding, not being as attached and observing what's going on. And, and then, all, you know, in about a course of a year, there was a lot of changes that happened, and, Challenges and and I just sort of um, struggled so deeply that I I became more, more and more insecure and got more and more attached, mm-hmm. identified with the self, the this self, you know, this, 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 and going to healers and you know doing therapy and, and that just reinforces that as well. And I, I see. I'm, I've sort of lost what I feel like I had. That less identified, just observing and you know, no, di- knowing that this is Buddha. You know, this is the Dharma. This, I'm not. I'm within that. And yes, I'm, I'm. There's feelings of attachment, and I know. I'm, I know I'm much greater than that. It's, it's much greater than this. Mm-hmm. So as you're speaking, I'm just seeing that I'll, after a lot of practice, I've gone to. I feel like I've lost something very important, I'm looking for it again, and what, you know, feeling so attached from getting depleted. Is that?
0: Is that no, it's very clear what you're saying. It's almost impossible for me to repeat it on the tape, but uh, but when you say I've lost something, something awareness has been lost a little bit. That identity, that sense of resting in awareness. Uh, but as soon as you say, I've lost something, then you tend, to, you and anyone else would tend to incarnate as the one who's going to get it back. Instead of simply resting again in this instant, in this is how it is. This has been lost, and it's that finding it is a split second a half breath away. It's simply knowing what's happening right now, one of my triggers, for example, no matter how long I've wandered, could be days, could be months, is if, I, if, if there's a recollection of what's happening now.
5: When you say wander, you mean
0: wandering itself? No, if I've, if I've been just absorbed in a... When I'm absorbed, there's nothing you can do about it. But as soon as I wake up to where I am, there's no time to waste. In, and there's literally no time there's that and so there's and when i say there's no time to waste no time to waste i think it's fine to recognize i'm reflecting on where i've been where the mind has gone that's true i'm reflecting that yes i I've, I've lived in that incarnation of of the sufferer for so long but in this instant i know what I know is the residue of that, is the heaviness, is the grief from having lost, lost uh, equilibrium or whatever. What's happening now? Just now? And I've yet to find anybody that on present evidence, again if you don't consult your memory, that can find anything missing, right now. And as one of my teachers in India used to say, in that instant of recollection, all, everything has been granted. So, no matter how, I remember Kala Rinpoche saying, no matter where or how far you wander, the clear light is only a split second a half breath away. I think that's from the Tibetan Book of the Dead. It's never too late to remember the clear light. And and clear light is simply present wakefulness. So I totally appreciate the grief of having gotten all spun out. I mean it it happens and we're all of us have lots of aches and pains and residue of wounds and and things that we have to deal with in our bodies, there's a tendency to get very that lose that lose our seat. But we don't need to become a great meditator again to get our seat. Our seat is already, we're already resting quietly, as they say in uh, some of the Tibetan poems, resting quietly in front of our own hearth. Awareness is already here. So.
5: Yeah, I do experience those moments just as you say, They're not long but they, they're there, and remembering
0: it. Yeah. But then not struggling to, to sustain that, but relaxing as long as it lasts. Again, from the Tibetan tradition, say when you, when you wake up again, that moment of wakefulness, you don't hold tight at that moment. I'm going to really hold on to being aware. You treat it like you would the gong. There's that moment of wakefulness, relax. You know how it happens, if you relax. <laughs> and that wakefulness that comprehensive awareness lasts as long as it lasts without tightening and then of course when we get absorbed in thinking again or our story there's nothing you can do while you're lost in thought it's only when we wake up and then just let go Actually, I brought a few little readings along. I've referred to Kala Rinpoche, so I... From 1993, Kala Rinpoche. There is nothing to be gained nothing to be found that is not here already. Truth is so simple, Buddhahood is so simple, so self-evident. Truth is here, even in this very room. Truth is you. The supreme silence, <coughs> shunyata, infinity is in you, now. You are the silence, you are the truth, you are the Buddha. It is here in this very moment, so simple and unaffected. Don't look into your memory, just here, before you have time to think. You are the silence, you are the truth, you are the Buddha. It's here in this very moment, so simple and unaffected, so near. Yet we make it so distant when it's so near, so remote when it's so immediate, so complicated when it's so simple. Do you know what it's like to be on the roadside with your motor car, but to have lost the way? You are the Buddha. Then why don't you feel it? Why don't you know it utterly, through and through? Because there is a veil in the way which is attached to appearances such as the belief that you're not the Buddha, that you're a separate individual. If you cannot lift this veil at once, then it must be dissolved gradually. If you've seen through it totally, just once, even one glimpse, then you can see through it all the time. Wherever you are, whatever presents itself, However things seem to be, simply refer to that ever-present, inherent spaciousness, openness, and clarity. How many of you, just in the moment, take this openness, spaciousness, and clarity as something that you may see someday? Or can you sense it right now, this openness, spaciousness, let your mind... Unfurl your mind, openness, spaciousness. Sense the clarity at which you see or hear right now. Don't look back, don't look ahead. Let yourself be that. Waiting is a trick of the mind. Please. Are you,
4: no, I hear what you say and I really believe it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but when, when I, as I'm soon
0: like, as you say but though <laughs> you've, you've gone to the past <laughs> no buts in this business
4: <laughs>
0: and they do disappear when you sit <laughs> go ahead sorry
4: well this is really coming out of the present because I do believe it and I'm sitting here and I flew yesterday and I have jet lag and I, and I was sitting here noticing everything that you're saying and I was thinking okay Now, as soon as this jet lag goes away, I'll be fine. I'll get (laughs) all these teachings filled. I'll be with these teachings. So then I decided, okay, I'm going to be with the jet lag. I'm going to be with feeling tired. Yes. And then, when you were inviting us to just come into the spaciousness right now, you know, I know what that's like. I've had those glimpses. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering now. Will it remove the jet lag, or will the that's, jet lag...?
0: That's not the idea. Will it remove it?
4: <laughs>
0: The idea is for the Buddha to know the Dharma. How is it right now? It's laggy. Laggy. <laughs> and see how laggy lasts. See how laggy behaves when it's noticed. Mm-hmm. It's not, the idea of knowing the Dharma is not to make the Dharma in your own image of perfection. It's to see the Dharma as it is. And, and the Dharma reveals itself, in, at least in name and form, as a changing condition. And then you, so you, then you see what's conditioned and changing, and also you may begin to sense more and more what's unconditioned and unchanging.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, Eternal, you could say, even though they don't use that word in the Buddha Dharma.
4: I'm starting to get that, except I do feel that when I do go into that spaciousness, then some of like delusions, sloth and torpor, some of that stuff will disappear. It,
0: yeah, sometimes it does. Sometimes it gets stronger.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: generally, that, generally, the aw- awareness is vital. Awareness kind of plugs us into a natural vitality. You know, the line that I love from the teacher Nisargadati says, reality is what makes the present so vital so different from past and future which are merely mental so when we're caught in where we think we need to go in terms of our jet lag or anything else we tend to lose we tend to lose steam get dissipated but then we we simply meet jet lag as jet lag without attachment without grasping or aversion which means staying in nirvana while we're dealing with samsara yeah yeah then we don't have to lose steam. And you can, okay, you can be jet-lagged. So what? And so that means not having an idea of what spacious awareness is either. It means being with that. How is that right now? It's not very spacious.
2: <laughs>
0: so It's just, how is it right now? How is it? Don't have to, we can really relax. How is it? <laughs> it does. It makes me laugh too when I stop struggling.
4: Yeah. That, it's that, mm. All that's just All
0: that's, that's avijja. But see, that's how it is too. Yeah. There's that.
2: Yeah.
0: So you, you you know we're Buddhas when we can be, and and we and we're strugglers when we are. You know it's.
4: What always gets me? Not only am I not in control; I don't have the imagination for it to really know. Oh, I think I know what it's going to be like, and what I'm going to be like, and and I, and I, if I, if it's really a wonder if I just relax. <laughs>
0: you know, the, the, you just reminded me of a Rumi poem where he says, The miracle of Jesus was himself, not what he did about the future. <laughs> he says, I'd worship somebody who could do that. You know, stop thinking about the future so much. So, just what you said is beautiful. Just, it's such a wonder when I. Wonder is not so far away, please. Could you speak a little louder?
7: When, when, you, when you talk about all of these things, like it's simple, and I hear the world—it's simple. You have the voice that knows, you know the truth. I almost feel like when you walked in those houses of your friends, the bigger houses, that <laughs> you know that you, because I think, wow, it's not simple for me. I can't see the truth. I don't. I, I see it once in a while. Um, I can see a glimpse of it, and i, I, I think I practice a lot. Most of the time, I'm in, I'm in the space that, don't, that doesn't know. Especially after, after I know comes the laundry. You know, comes <laughs> the, the I, there is a lot of things in my life that I have to take action right away. I'm yeah. not in a retreat. I'm not sitting. And I know what you're talking about. I really.
0: But don't use that as I an mean, excuse. No, that. I know. I know. <laughs>
2: I know. You know. I, when I'm. I
0: like, like that. I know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, please. Yes.
7: But I feel many times when I go out there, um, it doesn't. The space of don't know, and I really don't know. I mean, I know when I have a pain in my body, but when it becomes more complex, I really can't hear the truth, or I hear many (coughs) truths. I can hear one moment one truth, and then another one, Mm -hmm. and I have to act. That's when I have the main the main problem. I have most of the time in life you have to act. You have to take an action.
0: It's an ongoing practice. She says that she's, she doesn't, that she has to act. It's an ongoing process of learning how to trust that action will come if you're just where you are, and that, um, and that part of our part of at least my own delusion over the years was believing that I leave here and go out there. But the fact is, I stay right where I am, and a, a different scene comes. And that the practices for me has become just staying where I am, which is really the truth anyway. I can never go anywhere else. It's only in my imagination that I go out there. And I realized, even driving, flying on the freeway, I'm right where I am. Walking out to the car, I'm right where I am. Dealing with the, whatever it is, I'm right where I am. And so it's making that a habit, that's all. And that, doesn't, that does not in any way depend on the circumstances. Because awareness is your home, it's a, and it's making it your home, instead of your imagination. And, of course, part of the, the, the Buddha knowing the Dharma is knowing, my God, I spend most of my life lost in this dream of who I am, and this, in, in complexity. And it's, we're just not so practiced at, at, at beginning to experience living that kind of life in simplicity. And then trusting that what we need for everything in our lives is already functioning in us, all of the all the tools. So I t- just still make it as a take it as a as a challenge. But of course, we're all works in progress on this. Nobody's got it together. I mean, I'm, I fall on my face. I'm working at not screaming at people and. <laughs> <you know. laughs>
4: You're saying that there's no difference between being in the meditation hall and meditating and going
0: out in the world. Of course, there's a difference. There's a, a huge difference in the in the uh, in the conditions that are set up, but aware the the capacity to be aware is not exclusive to the meditation hall. The capacity to learn how to trust that is not exclusive to the meditation All, Of course, meditation retreats are wonderful because you can really nurture the habit, mm-hmm. but then it doesn't stop there. And part of the what really burdens people's practice, makes it too heavy and serious, and retreat practice especially gets them attached to it, is the sense that that's where all the spiritual work has to take place and then Yeah, but this is just a this is just a like a little uh, incubator, <laughs> you know. Little Buddha plants are getting watered and <laughs> fertilized, but then you you know you gotta sprout some branches and you know go out and flail away.
2: <laughs>
0: so remember, you can't associate awareness. I mean, you you know that y- you've been. There's been awareness that has followed you through every single up and down and every every relationship or non-relationship or whatever you've had. The one thing that so that that awareness, that which knows is, is always available. We tend to just get caught up in what's being noticed instead of taking that seed of knowing and then we can do that anywhere. One of the ways to practice is to. Start doing all the walking that you do outside very mindfully. We do a lot of walking. Start doing all the driving mindfully. You know, just tune in. Driving, driving. You can use mental noting. Eating at least the first bite of every meal really impeccably. Whatever activates that noticing. Taking quiet time every day. I mean, if, you're not, if it's not happening so far, then, then it's worth rearranging your life. To be able to nourish what you value, and that, of course, that changes over time. Please,
6: what you're just saying really applies to uh, all of life, if we can. Is really, really uh, uh, a meditation if we can do this with awareness. Twenty-four hours a day. Whether we're having pain, whether we're having jet lag, whatever we're doing, if we see all of this as a Meditation with, Beautiful. Beautiful. Not just the sitting, whether it's making love, whether it's eating.
5: Thank you for listening.